right, guys, welcome back to the Forgotten Jesus Podcast. My name's Andrew Bolton, here again with Pastor Robbie Gallaty and Candy Gallaty. Okay, Pastor, on the last episode, you left us with a massive cliffhanger. You said there was a pastor who learned something from you in Israel that in over the past 15 years of, the, of his ministry, this was the most insightful thing that he had heard. Mm. And I'm on the edge of my seat wondering, okay. what was that? Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. What, what I taught him, and this is part of our... Uh, threefold, uh, the, the trinity of the removal of God's presence, power among his people. This mm-hmm. is the, the three things that really set the stage for the coming of Jesus. And I think we need to know these things in order to really feel the weight of what happens when John the Baptist says, I'm preparing the way of the Lord, that prophetic voice that's been silent for 400 years. Okay, so the first thing, if you remember, God does after uh, the people reject him and are disobedient to him, Prior to the Babylonian captivity, which happens in 586 BC, God does something first, kind of a shot across the bow to the people who, whom he loves. What is the first thing that happens? His presence leaves. His presence leaves. So God's glory departs in Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 18. The second thing to go, which is as impactful as the first, was God's place of residing mm-hmm. is gone. The place where God resided Leaves And where was that? On the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. Okay. Now, God, again, he's um, uh, omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's all powerful. He's all, he's everywhere. Mm -hmm. And yet he decided to reside within the people inside of a box, inside of an ark called the Ark of the Covenant, inside of a place called the temple inside of a room called the Holy of Holies that was separated from every single person in the nation, Mm -hmm. in the world, except for one man, the high priest. Now, he wasn't inside the box. He was on top of the box. Exactly. Mercy seat. Yeah, she caught it. She caught it. That's the problem. Well, that's the catch. The catch is most people think there's nothing wrong with that statement. Mm Mm-hmm. That, that he was in the box? Yes, most like, God, people God's think, never in a box. Listen, oh, you beat me to it. Oh, I was about to say <laughs> it. It was right there. Yeah, no, that's good. No, the thing is, yeah, that's a, that's a theological truth. No, God, contrary to popular opinion today, did not live in the box. What was in the box, just, just for the record? There were three things in the box. The um, manna. Manna from Egypt. So okay. they gathered manna. God said, put the manna from Egypt. And all these things are reminders of his character. God provides. The second thing in the box was the staff. Yep, that budded. That budded. God's in control, leading with authority. And God's God's leading. And number three, Andrew. This oh, is listen, one. I have no Moses idea. Moses came down from the mountain with oh, those. The Ten Commandments. The Ten yeah. Commandments yeah. were actually in the box. So you have three big things the in the box. first. Ten Commandments or the second thing? Obviously, the second. I mean, the second. Had to be second. second. The first ones were, yeah. Yeah, but those three are in the box. Now, Mm -hmm. God does not reside in the box. God hovers above the box, and we're going to put a picture in the show notes. God hovers above the box between two cherubim, Mm -hmm. okay, and above what's called the mercy seat. So the presence of God kind of hovered above that, and that's where the sacrifices were offered with the blood mm-hmm. on the mercy seat, right? So it was wow. above so the box. Wow, so when they sacrificed the blood, they had to put their hand into the presence of God in order to do that, or? That's a great question. I, I assume so, but I know they, they are sprinkling it on there. I was so going to say, okay. yeah, I think maybe, maybe the hand it. went on. I don't know. Yeah. Well, um, you couldn't have touched it yeah. in any way, shape, or form because you'd be 
Yeah, we know how that ended. Yeah. Now, let me give you a cool insight about the Ark of the Covenant. Okay. okay. The Ark of the Covenant was the place where the presence uh, of God resided. Mm -hmm. And we know that in Ezekiel chapter 10, God's gone. His presence is gone, but the box is still there. The Ark is still there. Right. And the angels are still there. And the way the angels wing, so imagine a square box or a rectangular box. On one side, the right side, you have this cherubim angel, if you will, with wings that come over the top in an arc. Mm -hmm. on, the, on the left side, you have another cherubim angel with wings that come over like an arc, and they meet in the middle in a semicircle. Mm -hmm. So imagine, picture that in your mind. So on the left side and the right side, you have these angels that guarded the presence of God. Mm -hmm. Now, the presence is gone, as we, right. we, we heard. Right. Go with me to John chapter 20. And you have to have this picture in mind. Remember, we talked this in our earlier episodes. The Jewish people didn't think in theological terms or treatises or theologies or systems. I mean, they, they, they had those things, but they didn't think in words or uh, outlines. They thought in pictures. Mm -hmm. They all, God was teaching them in pictures. So it's important for us, if you're listening, you want to start reading the Bible and looking for the images right. because that's the way they thought. And so the image of the Ark of the Covenant is in your mind. Now watch this. I want you to see the image that you're going to hear in John chapter 20, because this is Mary going to the tomb after Jesus okay. is resurrected. Okay, the stone has been rolled away. Mary goes to the tomb to see Jesus, and I want to show you what she sees there when she peers in to the tomb. Verse 11. Verse 11. Ooh, here we go. I just, it just hit me. Okay, now. Okay, now. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting there, sitting where Jesus' body had been lying. One where, at the head, where exactly, John? One at the head and the other at the feet. Mm. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? Okay, let's stop there. Let's stop there. So Mary goes in. Though, though if you've been to Israel, um, you realize they have a tomb. We don't know if that's the tomb. It could have been the tomb. We don't know. But it, it, I believe it could be. I don't know for certain. But it was like the tomb, okay? Yeah. It was like the tomb. It was cut in a cave next to a garden. Mm -hmm. I personally believe Golgotha was the place where Jesus died and was buried. I know that's not everybody didn't believe it, but that's what I personally believe from the Gospel of John. However... The tomb is a picture of what it was. Inside the tomb was this place that was like a table, mm -hmm. uh, like 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 a top of a, a, a like a kitchen table or yeah. a dining room table. Made out was it stone, stone. Wood, yes, or was it, it was right? like a like, almost like a concrete bench. Yeah, it was like a concrete bench, tall, like tall where you lay the body, and it would be very similar to the top of an ark, mm -hmm. okay? Oh, yeah. So you're picturing now the top or, or, or a bare tabletop, and then Mary looks in and sees this tabletop where Jesus was lying, right, where they buried his body, wrapped his body uh, in, in the swallowing cloths, just like this symbol, just like a picture of his birth. We talked about this. I talked about this in a sermon recently. The same cloth that mm -hmm. Jesus was wrapped in at his death right. is the exact same cloth he's wrapped in at his birth, showing that Jesus' book ended with swaddling cloths to show that he not only came to live, but he came to die, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the book end. But Mary sees that, and what she sees is two angels that happen to be there. Right. Two, quote, cherubim-like mm -hmm. figures. Where are they seated, Candy? They were seated one at the head and the other at the feet. Okay. Wow. What Mary's seeing, I think, 
mm-hmm. in a very Hebrew, what a Jewish reader hears and sees when they understand this or, or get this, they see the Ark of the Covenant where one angel's on one side, mm-hmm. one angel's on the other side, but the only difference now is Jesus, the presence of God, the presence uh, 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 of, of the glory of God is gone because Jesus is what? He's back. He's gone. He's not there. He's not resided right, to a box right, right, or right. a place or yeah. an ark. The presence and power right. of God now is unleashed to the world mm-hmm. because he's conquered death, hell, right. and the grave. And notice what happens. What do they say to her? Verse well, 13. And she's she's crying. She's crying. Now watch this. this. Keep going. And um, they said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they have taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Yeah. So she hmm. is thinking something bad, and right. she's forgetting Jesus prophesied this. Mm-hmm. Now, the next thing, so you see this picture of the power of God, the presence of God unleashed in the world. He's gone now. He's not between these angels. Now, watch this. She turns around, mm-hmm. and she notices a man who's tending, she thinks, to the to the field there, the garden. And notice what happens. Read verse 14 and 15. Watch this. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you were seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. All right, stop there. Mm. So much here. Mm-hmm. So much here. You ready for this? Yeah. She turns around and she sees Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him. And Jesus says to her, what? Woman. Woman. Now, immediately, that's the first clue that takes you all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Mm. Woman, God created them male and female, man and woman, ish and isha in Hebrew, okay? So woman is a term for the first created woman, Mm. okay? The first created being outside of a man, okay? But the second insight that takes us back to the beginning is what? She thought he was the what? Gardener. The gardener. What was the role of Adam that God said, now that you have this world at your disposal, I want you to what? Tend. Tend to it. I want you to be a gardener. Mm. Adam's job was a gardener. Wow. Now, what did Adam do? We know the story. Well, he failed. He messed he up. He failed. Now, Adam says, if you ask Adam if he was here, you'd say, hey, why'd you screw up, Adam? Why'd you mess up? Well, what do you say? You know, you've had that apple. Yeah, that pomegranate, that, whatever it that was. Woman that, that woman that you gave me. Yeah. Here we go. That yeah. woman you gave mm-hmm. me is the reason that I messed up. And isn't it amazing now that the very first witness to the resurrected Christ is a woman in a garden where the whole thing fell apart in, in the, the first place. place. Wow. With a woman in a garden. And yet God is showing us that he is rewriting the wrong cause from the first couple wow. back in the garden. But what he does is he doesn't stop there. What does he do? He says, Mary, mm-hmm. Mary. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the question, Candy. Why does he say Mary? Why do you think? Is there a symbol? Like, why symbol? does he call her by her name? Yeah, why does he call her by her name? Well, he loves her. Well, he does love her. That's true. He does love her. Mary means beloved. So that her name means beloved. Well, then beloved. that makes sense. Beloved, yes. He mm-hmm. loves her. She she, well, true. She lo- yeah, okay. I get that. Yes, that's true. However, I think what he's doing is he's moving from a generic term of humanity. Right. Mm-hmm. And now he's restoring her as one of intimacy. Right. Mary, beloved. You're one of mine. Mm-hmm. 
And I think it's amazing that we see in this text this wonderful picture, this, this kickback, this remez, this kesher, back all the way to the garden at the end of Jesus' life. And so- You know what's so cool though? Okay. Can I say something? Yeah. Okay, so I'm just thinking like, she, he says her name and she knows who he is. Mm. You know what I mean? So like when he first says, woman, you know, why are you crying? Who it is that you're seeking? She doesn't recognize his voice right away. But as soon as he says her name, mm. Mary, it says mm-hmm. that she turns around and says to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Yeah. And so I'm thinking when God says your name, right, and calls you to himself, you recognize his voice. Mm. Don't you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, an, it's not a generic call. This is a personal right. call. Right. You know, yeah. he calls her by her name and then she, and she hears it and she knows that it's him. Right. Exactly. And so I just think that that's neat. Like if you think about when when God had called you to himself, like for salvation or whatever, and, you know, there's no, like, you know, it's him. He calls your name and you respond and you know that it's him. Mm. I don't know. I just liked it. Yeah. The difference between a general call and a um, specific calling for salvation on, on your life. Yeah. I would say this too, another insight here. You find two people in this garden. You have Mary, who's a picture of Eve, the woman, and you have Jesus, who is a picture of Adam. Mm. And as Romans says, Jesus as the, quote, second Mm. Adam did what the first Adam was incapable of doing. So what's happening here, Andrew, is this. Jesus is actually rewriting the narrative and going back and redoing all the wrong or restoring all the wrong that was done by the first couple in the garden. Mm. Wow. We miss that if we just read it as a generic story of, hey, he happens to be a gardener. He could have yeah. been a plumber. He could have been an yeah, engineer. Yeah. No, that's it's specific. Mm-hmm. When the Bible gives an insight, they're drawing our attention to something specific here, okay? So that's the second thing. The The ark is going to, to be removed. Now, where do I get that? You probably say, all right, prove it to me. Show me that the Ark of the Covenant's gonna be removed. When the Babylonians come in in 586 BC, mm-hmm. all the way back now, back after Ezekiel, presence disappears, 591. God's God's presence is gone. 586, the Babylonians come in, and what they take in addition to the people, you ready for this, Mm -hmm. is the Ark of the Covenant with them. Now watch this. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 16. Jeremiah 3, 16. When you multiply and increase in the land in those days, this is the Lord's declaration. No one, you, you're taking too long, babe. You, you got you to <laughs> well, have a Bible. You, honey, you, you already have had it open. You could have read it. <laughs> no, I'm reading it. That's what I'm saying. I'm reading it now. No one will say again. Now, this is profound. No one will say, Andrew's loving this. We don't have time on the podcast to wait for technology. Well, I, I got a flip there. Well, there's a Bible, babe, right in front of you. Yeah, I got it. No, you got a phone. Pastor, how does this make you feel? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jeremiah 316. Here we go. Thank you, Andrew. You're how do you feel about this? I'll tell you how I feel. No, uh, okay. Andrew, the do you verse want to read says, the verse? The, ver- the verse says. Jeremiah 3, am I reading it now? Oh, okay. <laughs> Okie dokie. All right, Jeremiah three sixteen. When you multiply and increase in the land in those days, this is the Lord's declaration. No one will say again, the ark of the Lord's covenant. It will never come to mind and no one will remember or miss it. Another one will not be made. Okay, now think about what it's saying here. Another one will not be made. Mm. No one will miss it. No one will say its name. No one will ever remember it ever existed, okay? So the deal is God is going to punish them profoundly. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, this, this is the, the ultimate form of punishment. I'm going to take my presence away, but I'm also going to take the Ark of the Covenant away. Now, why is that a problem, Andrew? I mean, why is for, that a problem? For them, it's been a symbol of God's faithfulness. Yeah. A tangible thing they mm -hmm. can see, not necessarily see, but hear about right. and know about. It's kind of a, it's kind of a sense of, of a comfort. Security, maybe. security, yeah. And now the, the, the Ark of the Covenant is gone, and it provides a, a conundrum for the people. Why? Because now when Ezra and Nehemiah, Zerubbabel come back to, build, yeah. to rebuild the walls mm. and the temple— when they reconstruct yeah. the temple, yeah. they have a problem. Yeah, no they, they cannot have a working temple that works perfectly without an Ark of the Covenant inside the Holy of Holies. Now, this is the part I told you that the pastor said, I've never heard that before. This is what I want you to understand. These people are going to work from the time of the 167 time when you have, I mean, obviously they're rebuilding back in the 500s, late 400s. But they're going to have a temple that has no Ark of the Covenant all the way until the day of Jesus and all the way to the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70. They basically have curtains mm -hmm. that keep people out from an empty, empty room. room. Wow. So when the high priest goes in once a year in the Day of Atonement, what is he doing, Andrew? <laughs> I don't know. He's acting. <laughs> I don't He's know. just a playing a part. Yes. There's no Ark. There's no place of God. They are playing, quote, church with God. Mm -hmm. Isn't this interesting? Like in all of the historical documents that we have and like Mishnah, Talmud, all these things, wouldn't there be somebody who would have reported on what that was like, a priest that went in for the Day of Atonement? Well, there's two, there's two trains of thought here, and I've thought about this a lot. Did, who knew about this deception or who knew about this situation? Was it deception on the form of the priesthood, um, particularly in the time of Jesus? Because remember, the Sadducees were the priesthood in Jesus's day. And we're going to learn in, in the next episode that they actually bought the priesthood and they mm -hmm. didn't earn it. Right. Okay. But the, the question becomes, did they deceive the people and not tell them? Or was it common knowledge that everybody just knew the presence and the place of God was gone? Well, if they knew Jeremiah as a prophet, they would have known Jeremiah, what he said here, correct? Yeah. So you got to remember this clear. for those who know. There's a big thing on history, you know, on National Geographic. We're going to find the ark. The ark's in Ethiopia. The mm -hmm. ark's on Mount Ararat or whatever. Yeah. Nobody has the ark. The right. ark is gone. Because if you find the ark today, it becomes an idol. Correct. Right. So God destroyed the ark. It's done. Just like he destroyed the temple. It's done. The, the reality is, though, people, people don't understand this. There is no ark in there. And so what I think happened, let me just take you to the New Testament. Fast forward to the time of Jesus' dying. Okay? The Bible says in John that the curtain is torn. So, G mm, so, so wow. let's go here real quick, Candy. I want you to show you what John says. And, and, and we need to come back to Jeremiah because I'm curious about something. Okay, another question. Okay. All right, where are we going? Uh, go to John chapter um, Go to John chapter 19. John 19, word. Okay. And, uh, and what verse? Um, let's see. I don't know offhand. See if you can find it before. Wait, wait, this. we don't have time on the podcast. Oh, be like that's where editing comes in. <laughs> There's no editing on this podcast. We <laughs> okay, haven't arrived. So, Actually, Matthew 27, 51. Uh, 
totally well, gone. It's going to take this me is a off the, This is off, my, off the cuff, by the way, but I want to give you this insight, Matthew Andrew. 27. Matthew 27, 51, 51. Tells us what's happening in the temple. Now, okay. why is it important that Matthew's telling this? Because Matthew is thoroughly Jewish, mm-hmm. and this would be a shot at the Jews. They would understand this perfectly, okay? Okay. Matthew 27, 51. Let's read this. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked, and the rocks were split. Okay, let's stop there. Suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary, the temple, was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, here's the question. Why top to bottom? Well, I mean, you have a how many inch thick it was uh, it's about 12 inches thick. Yeah, so you had this super thick curtain torn from top where no human could have done that. Yes. Correct. Yes, a, an enormous curtain. You got to understand, no samurai sword-wielding man can come in no here way. and cut this to just slit through it. No, this curtain is like a, a brick, okay, just multiple layer after layer. Um, so they couldn't tear it in too easily. So the story I've always heard growing up in churches is probably right. the same one you heard. What did they say? The reason it was torn from top to bottom is why, Andrew? Uh, one, no human could do it, and now we could be in the Lord's presence. That's right. Access. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. The what? curtain was 30 feet, was 60 feet tall, 30 feet wide, and uh, about f- four inches to five inches thick. So, uh, so five I mean, still. that's a brick. So pretty thick. Yeah, that's yeah. I said 12. That was wrong. I, well, I, could, we think I couldn't of, even rip the shirt. We think <laughs> yeah. of Hulk Hogan couldn't rip that. No. Yeah. yeah. Most of us think of curtains as panels or two pieces that come together with that they're already like separate, but you draw them together. This is one massive curtain. It's basically one panel that is the dimensions that you just said. Do you know what I mean? It's It's not two pieces that mm -hmm. come together with the slit in the middle. No, no, it is one massive curtain panel, if you could even say that, but it's so much more than a panel, um, that is going to be torn from top to bottom. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, cre- and creates these yeah. two pieces. So, so, yeah, so it's this huge one piece, okay? You had to go around it from the side to get in. And the only way to tear the, I mean, it, it would take God himself, obviously. Mm-hmm. Okay? Right. So what I've always heard was the reason the curtain is torn while Jesus is dying on the cross is to show once and for all that the separation between God and man has been torn down that there's no barrier, there's no need for a high priest to go in. Mm. Now, that sounds good. Mm-hmm. And I wanna, I, wanna, I, wanna, I wanna just push back on that for a moment. Could it be that? Possibly. I personally don't think that's what's happening here because I don't see that through a Hebraic lens. I know this would be controversial, but follow me. Why is that not probably what's happening? Because the ark's not there anyways. The, the ark's presence gone, isn't there and the either presence way. is gone. Even if the well, ark was there, the presence isn't there. Well, I think it's probably multi-purpose is what I think it probably is. I think it's to show the corruption it's of the exactly, priesthood. Okay, yeah. hold on. Here we go. Yes, yes. You're getting ahead, but that's exactly yeah. what. I think there are two bigger reasons that, the, that mm-hmm. the curtain is torn in two. Here's the reason. Number one is, if there's no ark in there, and this is the curtain between the holy of holies and the holy place. Mm-hmm. This is not the outer curtain. This is right. the curtain between the two inner places, right, where God supposedly presided or resided. The curtain is torn from top to bottom, and as the curtain is torn, you can't put the curtain back together. Right. It's like someone's clothes being ripped off of them, mm-hmm. and, and you know the pictures, they're trying to cover themselves to hide because they're ashamed. Well, what God is doing here, I think, one of the reasons, 
God is showing and revealing the hypocrisy mm. of the Sadducean priesthood system, which has been playing church with the people. Wow. Acting as if God is in the room, acting as if the Ark of the Covenant is there, and it's been gone a long time ago. Yeah. And God is basically revealing to people, you guys are a joke. Yeah. Now, Jesus did this multiple times. He flipped tables. He, he called them out. Now, but there's a deeper meaning. In a Jewish culture, there's a, something called kriya, which is a torn piece of ribbon. If you go to a funeral today, in a Jewish funeral, they actually take a torn piece of ribbon and they pin it to the outer part of their jacket or, or, their, or their shirt. And this torn piece of ribbon symbolized someone broken mm. over the death of a friend. Right. When David hears about Saul and Jonathan. Remember this? Mm -hmm. What does he do? The Bible says rips his he rips his clothing. Mm -hmm. In another instance, the Bible records that when the hear of death, they rip their clothing. How do they rip it? From what? Top to bottom. From top to bottom. So think of the, I mean, Hulk Hogan, we always say, Hulk Hogan ain't got nothing. I mean, these guys way predated Hulk Hogan. They were mm -hmm. ripping shirts way before you know, <laughs> when Hulk would rip his shirt from top to bottom. Well, you rip it by grabbing the neck from the right. top, and you pull down, and it rips from top to bottom. People have always said, well, God ripped from top to bottom, not bottom to top, to show that it was something he could do. Mm -hmm. No, brother. The fact that the curtain is ripped shows that that's something All only right. he can do. Right. The reason it's ripped from top to bottom is that is a picture. Come in close. Listen mm. to this. That is a picture, I think, of a loving father grieving the wow. death wow. of his one and only son. Ooh. We see the character, the heart of God. And while his son is dying, his one and only son is dying. Unlike Abraham, who when he raised the knife in the wilderness over his son, the, 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 Lord, the Lord spoke provided. out and said, hold, yeah. don't kill your son. And a ram was provided in the thicket as a substitute. No, no one's there to, to stop the hand of God. When God's son is dying, his hand comes down on his son. His son dies, his one and only son. And now we see a father in anguish over the death of his son. I think that's what's happening with the veil. Wow. I think it's all of the above. And Could be. Hebrews 10, listen to this, 19 through 22. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. So the veil was also symbolic of Jesus's flesh. According Could, to Hebrews. Yeah. And there's another insight. The tearing of the veil is a tearing of the flesh on the cross. Jesus' flesh is being torn as his body's offered up. So that's another I mean, it's, insight it's, as well. I think it's so many. It's, it's everything we've mentioned. Okay, so if that's not enough, let's put a period and we're done. And next mm -hmm. week, we're going to get on to something I've been waiting a long time Ooh. to share. Okay, so now we have the presence of God going gone. We have the place of God gone. Jeremiah 3.15, Ezekiel 10.18. Now we're going to see the book of Malachi. This is the one every Christian knows. The book of Malachi is the end of the prophetic voice of God. It's the time where God ceases to speak. It's the last book of our Old Testament Bibles. It's the last recorded prophetic words of God before God drops the proverbial mic mm -hmm. and never speaks again. Candy, turn with me to Malachi chapter four, and we're gonna read the final words that are seared 
in the minds and hearts of the people as the last words of God. And God's going to go silent, as the young people say. God's about to ghost. Mm. <laughs> holy ghost. <laughs> oh, he's going to holy ghost him in a minute. Yeah. But he's about to ghost the people for 400 years. Here are the mm. final words from God about uh, what's coming. You want me to read? Uh, no, read uh, four. chapter four. Read the last paragraph. Okay. Remember the instruction of Moses, my servant, the statutes and ordinances I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Look, I am going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Okay, that's the last words on their ears for 400 years, and God says, listen, it's going to look bad. Okay, it's going to look bad. If you don't obey me, it's going to be really bad, which they do. But there's coming a great and terrible day. Not not terrible in the in the sense of like like get a storm shelter, mm-hmm. you know, prep for the end war. No, terrible as in you're going to be in awe of what's mm-hmm. about to come. And what's going to happen is there's going to be a time when the hearts of the fathers are turned to the children and the children are turned to the father. And I think that's more than just familial families. Right. I think what he's going to do is turn the children, the people, back to God. Mm-hmm. And he's going to do it through the prophet Elijah, who we know is what? John the Baptist. John the mm-hmm. Baptist. Now, when we get to John the Baptist, which will be in a little while, one of my favorite lessons on John the Baptist is when he puts on the, quote, costume for the party. I hate to say a Halloween costume because that's a people take that wrong. But he puts on a puts on a costume right. and he dresses up like going to a party and, and in a uniform so that people recognize him as Elijah, which is mm. pretty amazing. Mm. Next week we're gonna talk Ooh. about yo yeah. Next week what we're gonna talk about is we're getting into Matthew. Mm. We're gonna finally try to get into Matthew. <laughs> but but we're gonna do it by way of Luke. So there we go. Matthew's well, on hold, but I'm Luke is you, we've coming. We've been trying to get into Matthew for like a year now. Okay. Uh-huh. Awesome. Well, thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Candy. So many insights. Uh, again, I'm just going to stay on the edge of my seat waiting for next episode. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. If so, share it with a friend. Uh, and you can also connect with us on social media at The Forgotten Jesus on Instagram. It's a great place to submit some questions as well. Pastor, I think we're about due for a bonus episode coming up. Let's so yeah. get those questions in. We would love to answer those. Uh, We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you on the next one.